when you hear something like that, yeah, and you're at business school to do something entrepreneurial anyway, you, you, it's kind of like, oh, you've, you've reached that point where this is what you want to do. This is why you went to school. Mm -hmm. It's sitting right in front of you. Go do it. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, that was kind of the thought process. Hey, 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 everybody. My name is Ryan Atkinson and you are on the business cloud. Today, we're welcoming Ken Babcock, the co-founder of Tango to the podcast. I'm excited to talk about entrepreneurship, Tango and his story. Um, so welcome, Ken, to the podcast. So, so excited for you. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And if you are watching this on video, you guys have to note the background. We talked about it before, um, but can you give us a little <laughs> bit of sense, like how this background came to be? This is an awesome background. The albums are great. Yeah, so I I collect uh, I collect like a lot of my favorite albums. Uh, yeah. So everything on the wall here is some of my favorites: "Room on Fire" by The Strokes, "Stadium Arcadium" by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, I used to have a record player, but in my move to Chicago, where I am now, my record player just got absolutely destroyed. Uh, and my wife pointed out that it shouldn't be that devastating of a loss because <laughs> I, I didn't use it as much as I would like to think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I took all the albums, put them on the wall, makes me kind of, you know, look like I'm like a record producer, <laughs> gives me a little personality when I jump on calls too. Yep. So, I mean, we're talking about it, so it's working. <laughs> in the age of Zoom backgrounds, I would say you're standout compared to like a virtual like beach in the background. <laughs> Love it. Love it. But I do want to talk about your story. Your story is incredible. Um, and I want to start in your earlier days at Uber um, when you're part of operations, data, data analytics and product strategy. Um, you're there for about four years. I'm sure you're there for the huge growth that they saw. Um, can you tell us like what's one thing that you learned most from your time at Uber? Oh, man, one thing, <laughs> one, one little thing. There's a lot of things. Um, and yeah, just for everyone, for context, when I joined Uber in 2014, I joined um, a team that was focused on like helping our launches become more efficient. So we had launched in like 200 cities at that point. Little did we know we'd eventually launch in like 450 more. Yeah. And so it was extracting all of the learnings and insights, tactics, playbooks from those first 200 to apply it moving forward. Um, so just a tremendous way to learn about the business, but also, um, just have like a global sense for how Uber was impacting um, different economies and, and different cities. Uh, but, but one big learning, I mean, I think, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, it was probably there during the growth days. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Probably until, <laughs> until hashtag delete Uber came about yep. <laughs> every week until that point was a record week. I mean, we'd literally get into an all hands and be like, all the metrics went up again. So nice. And that is, um, that's a pretty crazy experience. And, uh, you know, obviously a good one when you, when you see like that type of progress, that type of spirit, I mean, everyone was so rallied around the mission. Um, but on the flip side, what can happen in that environment is that you can validate basically everything that you're doing, right? Every week's a record week. We're not doing anything wrong. You know, everything we're doing is great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what actually perpetuated you know, some of the stuff that then started coming out about Uber around like the culture, the practices, the, you know, questionable legality. Actually, our, our former like chief security officer just got um, convicted of, of a felony. I mean, there are a lot of things that you're you're saying, oh, well, this is having a really positive impact on the business. Yeah. We're just going to keep doing it. And so, you know, what I kind of learned from that is 
you know, to always do the postmortem, do the retrospective, be critical of what you're doing, admit what's not working, um, obviously celebrate what is, but don't just take like, oh, the metrics all look good. Whatever we're doing must be good. So that was a big learning for me. Um, and also kind of tied into that first team that I was on. Like a lot of our job is figuring out, is this scalable? Is this actually a tactic that should be applied to the rest of the markets? Or is this just like a one-off? We got lucky. Ah, interesting. I read a really good book called The Upstarts. Um, Brad Stone wrote it. It's about Airbnb, uh, Uber during their early days. Um, and one of the things that really I remember from that book is like the regulation of when you start operating in like Europe or Germany. Um, did you oversee any of that, like implementing those strategies with Uber as you expanded? Yeah. So the first launch that I assisted with was Miami, which was um, a very heavily regulated market. Yeah. Um, it ended up being our like fastest growing um, market in the U.S. Mm -hmm. by far when we launched it. I mean, it was it was a lot of pent up demand, um, but you know some of the regulations that they had down there, specifically for what they called you know for hire vehicles. Yeah, uh, one which was so bizarre was you needed to enter a like contract this is just a legal term you need to enter a contract with a four hire driver at least 45 minutes earlier than when you're scheduled to get picked up uh, and so obviously that crushes uber's business model because yeah. on demand five minutes away car will come pick you up um and so you know that was something that was obviously antiquated there's probably a a lot of different hands and a lot of different pots that decided <laughs> that's the regulation that we needed to have. But um, we needed we needed to kind of work around these things. And you know, some of this, some of it was we don't think that's actually a fair regulation. We're just going to ignore it that's and pay some of the penalties, which was you know questionable sometimes. But yeah. in, in other senses, like you know, you're pushing for kind of a new normal and a new set of behavior. That's sometimes that's what you have to do. Um, but yeah, Miami was a big one. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm from, I'm from Buffalo, New York, uh, Buffalo and upstate New York. Buffalo is actually the last NFL city to get Uber. Green Bay had Uber before Buffalo did. No way. So we would always joke That's about awesome. Buffalo being, um, I think we called it the 72nd frontier because it was the 72nd largest city in the U S. Um, but again, it was, it was just, mired in political corruption and nonsensical laws and regulations that like didn't make sense for us um so yeah so definitely assisted with some of those i mean it is it is you know that was one thing that was potentially inhibitor to uber's scale was yeah. was a lot of those regulations i mean it was it was wild yeah, I feel like that's following the like Silicon Valley mantra of like ask for forgiveness, not permission to like the absolute T. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uber was the quintessential version of that. <laughs> let's talk. A, let's kind of. So that was great. Let's talk about Tango. Um, it's a fascinating app or platform. I was looking at it, um, but I want to start out early, early, early days when you were at Harvard Business School. I don't want to paint the picture of it. Can you tell us a little bit more about Tango and Harvard Business School at the same time? <laughs> yeah, totally. So my myself and my co-founders, Brian and Dan, we we all met at Harvard Business School in the fall of 2019, um, had been introduced through mutual friends, got along great, um, and then quickly realized we were we were all at school to do something entrepreneurial, whether 
join an early stage company, start something ourselves. Uh, and the more we talked about ideas and things that we were passionate about, there was just this emerging theme around team performance. We were all mm. sort of very invested in like how teams work and how you get the most out of your team, yep. leadership strategies. But the things that we you know honed in on that would eventually become Tango was that it it was really hard to take a high performer on a team, yeah, take their tribal knowledge <laughs> and scale that to the rest of the team. And we were like, why is that the case? You know, if you have people that are proximate, incentivized, like why is why is knowledge sharing so difficult? Um, and what we realized was that there's just there's just a super high burden to creating documentation, and that burden is threefold. It's it takes too long to create documentation of your knowledge. Once you create it, it's almost stale immediately. <laughs> uh, and then once it's stale, people just start pinging you. Hey, this is broken. This is out of date. Can you update this? Yeah. And so all of that combines to, to basically prevent people from actually wanting to document their knowledge. And so what we said was, oh, you know, maybe there's something here. What if we could lower the barrier? And so when you look at Tango today, what we're focused on is lowering that barrier to creating documentation because you can create it as you do your process. And so there's no, you know, hey, let me set aside some extra time to like write all this down and get my thoughts on paper. Um, and then when things change, it's just as easy as recording another another tango. And so that pain point of documentation is something that we really honed in on. And, um, you know, the more we talked with potential customers and just companies that were interested in, in what we were doing, the more we realized like, holy cow, we have to go build this. <laughs> it's like... Uh, it was kind of like this call to action. And so we actually dropped out of, of Harvard Business School after one year um, That's not so to, to pursue Tango. That's interesting. So you, so can you tell me like the thought process behind that was, okay, I'm ready to drop out of Harvard Business School right now because XYZ, we have validation that people really want this and there's an opportunity here. Let's jump in. Let's jump two feet in, mm -hmm. drop out of Harvard Business School and start building Tango. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was a combination of a bunch of those things. I, I mean, the other element I should add was like COVID had just started. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So sort of midway through our first year or, or, you know, three quarters of the way through. And, you know, also the school experience changed a lot. Um, and so there are all these dynamics at play, but I think, you know, the biggest one with COVID was the companies that we were talking to kind of like call it pre-March 14th or whatever that date was where like, the world <laughs> shut down. Doomsday. <laughs> yeah, to, to post March 14th, the change in their tone and urgency ah. and desire for something like Tango was like a complete 180. I mean, before it was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, we'd love to see it when it's ready to, oh my gosh, my team went distributed. Uh, people are working on all different time zones. Now I'm finally realizing that our like knowledge infrastructure is totally broken. So can you build this yesterday? And so when you hear something like that, yeah, and you're at business school to do something entrepreneurial anyway, you, you it's kind of like, oh, you've you've reached that point where this is what you want to do. This is why you went to school. Mm -hmm. It's sitting right in front of you. Go do it. <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was kind of the thought process. Whereas you know, I think if you're maybe going to business school to get, you know, a job at a Fortune 500 or a big tech company, you know, that's where you'd probably want to finish the two years. For yeah. us, it was a little bit more of like, 
okay, this arrived sooner than we thought. Yeah. Let's just go do it. That's really interesting because I feel a lot of people in entrepreneurship talk about like external forces. Um, this mm-hmm. this one sounds like it was positively like on your side to push people to really use this. Um, yeah. Like coming to mind, like are there like any external forces that like you're afraid of um, when it comes to tango? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know I think one thing that we've benefited from a ton is uh being able to hire the best talent no matter where they are i mean starting a company in covid you're you're by default remote first yeah um and we've we've stayed that way we're 30 employees now across 14 states um but you know what you have to figure out especially as like more and more people are returning to office more and more people are getting together in person how do you augment that experience with more in-person meetups and more team-wide, you know, team building camaraderie. And so we've done a good job of addressing that, but that is one thing that I think about uh, quite a bit because, you know, we were forced to build our company in a certain way. Yeah. We, we definitely made the most of it and it's been a tremendous source of talent for us to just not worry where people are located. But as more and more people get back to a state of normalcy, as more and more people maybe want to meet up in person, how do we adjust our policies and how we operate? So I think we'll figure it out, but it is something that I think about quite a bit. Yeah. That was actually a question that I I, I had preset was like your head counts up 61% uh, over the past six months, which is incredible. Like congratulations, but how does like that change your day to day or like your vision for the company? I mean, as a founder, and I was just talking with, um, a local, local to Chicago, where I am, um, a local investor. And, you know, he had founded some companies. And so I asked him, you know, what, what were these like inflection points for you as a founder and CEO? Yeah. In terms of headcount size, like how big was the team when you, you know, your role shifted pretty dramatically. And, you know, the one that we focused in on was kind of where we're at now, which is 25 to 30 people. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, you know, what he said about this is like, it becomes less of what individually can you contribute to the mission of Mm. the company and more, how can you articulate the strategy and vision in a way that everyone understands it, everyone's aligned on the highest priorities and that they can like recite it back to you. And so, you know, the way (laughs) I, I like the way he framed it, he's like, you're now a megaphone. Like you have to, you have to basically like say this thing over and over again to the point where like people roll their eyes when they hear it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like, Hey, I'm going to jump into this problem and like solve something or like, Hey, I'm going to contribute like, you know, this PRD for this product feature. Uh, that's actually something that when the team sees that they'll look at it and they'll be like, should that be how Ken's spending his time? Like, is he, <laughs> is he prioritizing well? Right. And, that's another thing too, like at this stage, like the, the team is looking at you as a, as a signal for how they should be operating and they should be working and what they're prioritizing. So, um, definitely at an inflection point now. And, uh, you know, I think, I think founding a company is all about how you adapt and change and adjust. Yeah. I feel like, or, I mean, can you share your experience on like, so as you grow, like you're starting to look like to delegate more tasks, um, 
I mean, what, mm-hmm. as a founder, like what areas, like should someone first look to delegate a task if they're saying, oh, I'm growing like crazy. I can start delegating these. Uh, yeah. What are focus areas that they should consider delegating first? I mean, it, it obviously depends on your role, okay. um, but the, you know, and this might be oversimplified, but the thing that I always ask myself is like, whatever I'm doing or whatever meeting I'm in, Interesting. is this, you know, is this going to increase the likelihood that tango succeeds? <laughs> and if, and if the answer is yes, like, great. That's a, that's a great use of time. Mm-hmm. Um, if the answer is maybe or no, I mean, those are probably things that like, yes, they're necessary. Yeah. Like they're necessary to do. You have to do them. You have to do state filings. You have to do payroll. You have to do, <laughs> um, you know, a bunch of other stuff, but is that going to dictate the success? It's going to make sure that we can continue to operate, which yep. is some element of success. But like, are those the big swings that like you as a founder need to make? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to like role specific um, elements, one of our investors actually sent me an article. I was like, what, what does a CEO do? It was like, the article took like 10 <laughs> seconds to read. Uh, I think it was trying to be provocative. But, yeah. <laughs> um, it basically said three things set and communicate the vision, hire and retain the very best people, Uh, make sure you don't run out of cash. mm. Those are the three things. And so now I'm trying to take that and apply that to to what I'm doing. Um, You know, does this help articulate the vision? Does this help attract people to the company? Does this help keep people at the company? Um, Or does this, you know, increase the likelihood that we'll either get financing or, extend our runway or increase revenue. So um, that is how I'm thinking about it now. Interesting. So my natural question right off of that, then out of those three, I mean, which one's the hardest one to control? Ooh, well, you would assume that, you know, you have control over all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, I, I think, I think the, the one that is, has the most nuance and I would say is probably the most critical is the people element. Um, because, you know, with the cash piece, like if you don't have a team that's aligned on priorities or a team that um, knows what the goal is or, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and what they've set out to do, um, doesn't matter how much cash you have in the bank. Like, uh, you know, I'll always bet on the team that's, thriving and motivated and collaborative and supportive over the team that just has a better balance sheet. So I think that's the piece that I spend most of my time on and the one that I think probably the most deeply about, like that's what I read books about. That's what I um, constantly am reevaluating at Tango. So that's the piece that's probably hardest, but also most, most essential. Yeah, I feel like the people piece that just like listening to that, I feel like that has the most like extra external, ex- external threat because I mean, you have people that are, are like headhunters that will poach on them sure. and try and get them away. But like the cash flow, I mean, you can really control that because that's more internal. Is that a fair statement to say or a way, a way to approach that? Yeah, there's more external factors. Um, you know, I think everybody has their right to pursue different opportunities. I mean, our approach has always been like, let's be really generous. Let's reward people. Um, 
let's make sure that we're embracing flexibility. Let's yeah. not, let's not be a remote company. That's trying to be an in-person company. Mm. Uh, let's make sure this is a friendly place for parents. I'm a parent myself. Yeah. I'm really proud of how many parents we have at that's Tango. Cool. Um, and so there's all these different dimensions that you want to make sure like working in concert together such mm -hmm. that another opportunity, even if it pays more, like, you know, you've created sort of a family, uh, or, or at least like a supportive working environment that people are proud of. And so we do culture surveys every six months. We, That's awesome. you know, um, think about like, okay, is, is everyone being paid fairly relative to the stage that we're at now? Um, you know, a lot of things like that, where we'll just do compensation adjustments based on what the market's saying, you know, yeah. and it's like, Hey, actually, you know, if you took this offer at this point when we were at this stage, actually let's, let's bump you up because we're, we're at a different point now. Yeah. I feel like you just listening, you put like a lot of thought into like the culture. Um, and I'm sure that has evolved, like your thought process, your thought process on a culture evolves, just how you approach life has evolved in one way. Like my, I'm always evolving. is just like, kind of emulating like mentors or like seeing people that like have inspired me like Steve Jobs I have a poster right here of Apple I love his books um, and there's just like, yeah. like Mark Randolph of Netflix has phenomenal book on culture um, so with that I'm curious like do you have like mentors or people that um, you look up to um, that we could also look up to yeah totally um, I mean I think I don't know like I said I'm a big reader of books I love um, Daniel Coyle's book The Culture Code Okay. Amazing book highlights a lot of examples of like culture that maybe isn't business, but can apply to business, right? Like Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, um, the Navy SEALs and like how they develop this camaraderie. Yeah. So yeah. that, that book is amazing. Um, you know, I think in terms of like people that I look up to or people that I, you know, try to emulate, yeah. um, sort of, you know, any one person, I'm not trying to carbon copy become yeah, that, yeah. but, but, you know, in reading Shoe Dog, you know, I loved Phil Knight's approach to how he built Nike and how he cared so much about the team that he was building more so even than the product. So, cool. um, so there's, yeah, there's, there's a bunch. And I, I actually recently read obviously different stage of company, but I read like Bob Iger's memoir the former ceo of disney and, mm -hmm. and just how he thought about his leadership team and strategy and uh so there's a lot to like about those folks as, as well as you know some of the other books i read awesome so convince me in a little short period of time here should i read bob Iger's book what were the takeaways because that's been on my to read list the right of a lifetime i'm presuming yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, it's on my to-do, my like to-read list, but I don't know if I'll ever get to it. I mean, what were some of your takeaways from that book? Yeah, you know, he's he actually put some tactical stuff in there, which I think is rare mm -hmm. when you see That's memoirs cool. like that. You know, it tends to be a little pompous. It tends to be like, here's all the success that I've had. Here's <laughs> what I attribute it to. But, you know, he got in the weeds on, here's how you fire somebody. Here's how you provide oh, wow. feedback. Um and those are, those are things that, you know, when you talk about the day-to-day -day of yeah. founding and building a company, like you're often faced with that. Oh, we got to let someone go today. Like, how do I approach this conversation? It's one of the worst conversations you can possibly have. Oh, <laughs> um, 
or I have someone who's got super high potential, but I need to communicate some pretty delicate feedback. Mm. How do I do that? <laughs> so that's what I liked from Bob Iger's book. Um, you know, I think I think the big thing around feedback that that I appreciated was just an awareness of people's goals and where they're trying to go. I think sometimes uh, feedback can often be reflective of the things that you value or if you were in their shoes where you would want to go um, or just like preferences that you have around how people work. Um, but that's counterproductive because everyone has different working styles, different needs, different goals. Um, and so, you know, when he talked about feedback, he's like, well, the first thing you have to do with your team is like have an awareness of, of their goals. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're providing feedback that doesn't align with their goals or, or maybe the company goals, then, you know, maybe that's something that you can, you can let, you know, slip a little bit. So great book. Yeah. It, and it's, it's a quick read too. So you could probably do it over a, over a weekend. Ah, I love it. Maybe it'll, that'll bump it up a little bit. I, I think that's a good audiobook for me. I like, I like audio. I'm starting to get into audiobooks now. I think that'll be a really mm -hmm. good one. Um, yeah. Uh, going back a little bit to Tango here, um, with your analytics background, I mean, what are some of the metrics that you've used? Um, talk about scaling as well. How has your view on analytics changed while applying them to Tango as you grow? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, we're we're a product-led growth company. So end-user adoption sort of bottoms up, yeah. similar to Slack, similar to Figma. Um and so, you know, a lot of our messaging value proposition is all focused on that end user and saving them time. Mm -hmm. So given that that's how we're focused, I mean, your metrics kind of have to match that. And so the things that we care a lot about are how can we activate people? How can we get them to their first workflow, their second, their third workflow? What portion of our user base are we doing that? Um, how quickly are we doing that as well? We measure time to first workflow. Okay. Um, it's at like six minutes right now. We want it to be lower. Um, so <laughs> there's just things like that where, you know, you want to measure things that show that you're getting people to that aha moment. Mm, uh, that's cool. And, and making sure that that aha moment's getting sooner and that it's happening for more and more people. Um, because the biggest thing with bottoms up adoption is like, you know, on any website, someone can sell a value proposition. They can say all the right things and say like, this is a solution that does it. The reality, you know, is, is when they download it, they <laughs> use the product. Do they then see the value? Yep. If there's a disconnect there, that's where people drop off. Mm. If it matches exactly what they thought the solution would be, that's when you start getting, you start seeing that power usage. So there's, there's a lot of value in, in sort of measuring that stuff, but making sure that, you know, your what the value you're delivering also speaks to what your your value messaging says. Mm. Um, and then in terms of how like my approach to analytics has changed, I think I was definitely spoiled at Uber because we we never um, we never ran into like sample bias. Maybe yeah. in some experiments, but there are so many trips happening, so many drivers, so many riders that you could really make a lot of inferences from what was happening on Uber on a daily basis, on an hourly basis within That's, all of our markets, um, which was really fun. That is cool. a great, great way to be someone who's, who lives in analytics. But when you're starting a company, 
you're constantly in this sample bias issue because mm-hmm. you, you know you've just got a few users or um, maybe you've got a few power users and you're trying to make inferences from that. And I think where I've kind of broadened my scope a little bit is like, instead of treating the data as truth and saying, okay, here's the insight that we have around this is actually treating the data as here's something we should go investigate. Here's something that may be a hypothesis of what's happening. Or, you know, when we say, oh, we see a metric move directionally, it's like, okay, let's go talk to users and see what's actually happening. So um, it's been a great vehicle for us to like direct our research efforts. Mm. But I've had to kind of step away from saying like, here's what the data says. So we should go do this because you just, you don't, you have that, you know, that sample, sample error um, present constantly. Interesting. So you're, you're going a step beyond just like pulling up like a, for me, like a Google analytics, like, oh, here's like our bounce rate, our page views. You're actually going above that and saying, well, here's the metrics we care about. Let's go talk to our users um, and see why are they doing this? Um, and I think mm-hmm. I applause you for that. Cause that's, that's going beyond just the first view of, oh, well, here's the data. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my view is that like every startup should treat themselves as like a learning organization um, mm. where yes, you've, you've put an idea out in the world. You're the most well-versed in what your business is totally, but <laughs> you have to, you have to kind of approach it as like, we're learning more about our business model every single day yeah. and what works. And we're learning more about our customers every single day. And so That's really if you take that approach and just assume that you don't, you don't know exactly what your users need. That's going to ensure that you're building the right things. I think, you know, you see a lot of startups fail because they just, they just rest on intuition. Yeah. This is what we need, or this is what I want to build. Or like, Mm -hmm. I have this vision or, or, you know, I'm this product savant. It's like, no, like (laughs) at the end of the day, you're delivering something to users. And so um, that's what we've tried to hold true to us. I love that. Um, and as we do come to a conclusion here, I want to ask you just a couple more questions here. Um, thinking about like young 20s, like if you reflect back on that stage of your life, it's like, oh, like I really wish I knew these two things in my young 20s. Uh, what would it be? Yeah, I, I think um, two things. Maybe maybe one, I always hesitated to kind of make the leap into entrepreneurship because I thought I had to accumulate all the experiences and skill sets necessary to be like, okay, now I can do it. I'm qualified now. What I've kind of realized is like, you know, if you've got sort of this like problem solvers mentality, if you've seen, you know, if you've had even just like a few years of experience where you've seen how, how, what success looks like at another company, you should go just like take the leap. Like, I think, I think as a founder, you learn so much, you're faced with problems you don't know the answer to (laughs) all the time, Um, but that's energizing. Right. And so instead of being like, Oh, now I know everything. I'm going to go do this. um, I would have probably taken the leap earlier. Mm. Uh, And then I think the, the second thing, um, and I probably took this for granted a little bit, but I, I lucked out because I emerged from Uber with a great network of people. But the people that you work with in your early 20s, that that ends up forming your network. And when you're starting a company, you need to lean on your network yeah. so much. Um, 
those problems that I mentioned that you've never encountered, it's probably good to, you know, have a lawyer in your network to like bounce some ideas off of, or <laughs> probably good to be like friends with the person from the strategic finance team at Uber. So you can say, Hey, we've got all these finance questions. Can you just like gut check me on this? Um, so investing in networking without being like, you know, handing out business cards and shaking hands, but just like invest in those relationships. Um, cause down the road, like those are the things that are going to pay the most dividend. I really, really love that. Cause that's one mind mindset shift that I've had recently is like, like, I know like a ton of, like, I've had a phenomenal people on this podcast and it's like, well, I'm not like, I'm not like recording, but it's like, oh, like I, we kind of stopped talking. So now it's like following up, like bi-monthly just to check in on them. And I think that's one area I know I struggle with as someone that's 23, but I also feel like a lot of people my age also do. I don't see a lot of people do it too well. <laughs> sure. Um, and then also just curious, we, two more questions. First question here is you're going to the Bills Chiefs game this weekend. And <laughs> that's right. Two days here. And this podcast is going to air on the very next day on this Monday. So be oh, careful wow. with this prediction, but what what are we thinking for this game? <laughs> Oh man, I think I think the Bills are the favorites going into Arrowhead, which is you know, as a Bills fan, I've learned always <laughs> to be to be skeptical. Um, no, I I mean, I really think that this is our year. I think the Chiefs have had us for, you know, we've kind of ended our our playoff run <laughs> two years in a row now. But I think I think this is this is when the switch flips. So you know, if I were to make a prediction, I think we'll I think we'll end up somewhere like. 31-23 Bills. That would be my prediction. I love it. I love it. We'll, we'll keep that one on air uh, <laughs> and see what happens. Sounds good. Um, and then last question. First off, thank you so much for joining us. I applaud you for the thought that you've put into the culture, the questions, or the answers you provided. Uh, this was really, really engaging, really fun. Um, so last question, where can people connect with you? Where can people find you? Uh, the links will be all below for everyone to check out, but uh, please share here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, feel free to email me, ken at tango.us. Um, always love talking about like the stuff we talked about today. And then uh, if you want to learn more about Tango, tango.us is the is the best way to find out more. And uh, it's free to start. So get, download it, give it a try. We'd love to, we'd love to hear your feedback. And make your work, your first workflow under six minutes. Uh, that's the first yes. goal. <laughs> five minutes. Five minutes. Let's go for five. <laughs> I love it. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. You were awesome. I applaud you on so much. Um, and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode with Ken Babcock of Tango. It was awesome to talk with him about Uber, hiring, culture, and analytics. Uh, if you love what we're doing, if you love this episode, make sure to like the video, subscribe, smash the notification button, and turn on the notification bell for all of our upcoming episodes. We have a ton of content planned, and we do not want you to miss it. If you really love what we're doing, make sure to give it a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. We are so excited for the future of the Business Cloud, and we're excited for you to join us. Thank you so much.